Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Karen Little. Karen is the Executive Director at Alley Cat Advocates in Louisville, Kentucky. She's a previous guest to our show, and she was last on at episode number 17. So if you're interested in hearing about how Karen got started and her bio and information about her organization, please go to the search bar at the communitycatspodcast.com and search Karen Little, or you can search episode number 17. Today's episode is episode number 112, and I'd like to welcome Karen to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So we're going to do some things a little bit different today. Karen, I wanted to ask you a question. I'm getting a lot of questions from our listeners, and I want to thank our listeners for sending questions in, questions and comments. They're all greatly appreciated. And I'm getting a lot of questions about how to relocate cats and also what when. When do you make the decision to relocate? Is there a checklist you go through Or how does one make a choice to actually relocate cats? Thanks so much, Stacey. That's a great question. And yes, thanks to all those listeners who've shared their thoughts and concerns about relocation. Relocation is not something that Alley Cat Advocates does. And we make that decision very strategically. Trap, neuter, return for us is trap, neuter, return. It's not trap, neuter, relocate. In almost all, and there's a rule breaker in every scenario, but I will go so far as to say almost all cases, there's no need to relocate. The cats that we find in colonies that are reaching our doors have a situation that they've chosen to be in. It may be a junkyard that we wish they didn't live in, but they have chosen not to cross the street into the nice neighborhood or nicer neighborhood than the junkyard across the street. So for some reason, they've chosen to be there. Should that junkyard be destroyed, our relocation efforts will be down the block, shifting their food source into the community or into the industrial park adjacent to that junkyard, not to a farm where we have this idyllic notion that they'll be better off. We find that urban cats are accustomed to urban living, Rural cats are accustomed to rural cat, rural living just as we would be, and that keeping those colonies intact, adjacent or very close to where their habitat might have been destroyed, is in the best interest of the cats. Almost every single instance when we hear, can you please relocate these cats, we're able to accommodate it without what is truly a relocation. So basically the way you approach a caretaker or a concerned citizen or, you know, a a trapper, you'll say, we just don't do it. And here are some potential alternatives, but really the local neighborhood has to uh, create a solution for those cats in a case like saying a building is going to be demolished or something. Those cats, you know, need to move down 
the block or so. That, yeah, we think that that ultimately is in the best interest of the cats. Now, is it in the best interest of the humans in the area? We think that it is as well because there's a food source that's probably going to still remain. And unless we're able to identify and remove that food source, they're just going to have in that neighborhood the same issue. So we work with the neighbors who are both happy to have had the cats in the area providing rodent control and also with the neighbors and very extensively with the neighbors who don't want the cats in the area to calm their concerns. Obviously, the spaying and neutering will remove 80% of the behaviors that they're concerned about. And then if we are able to successfully provide them those concerned neighbors with deterrence to keep them off their porch or out of their garden, then we find that shifting those cats rather than truly relocating them is a better alternative for the cats. There's a lot of anecdotal information about the lack of success of true far-removed location relocation uh, activities. There are situations where that's the only option. In, in Louisville, Kentucky, we use relocation to mean only those cats that have come into our shelter systems that have already been relocated from their home environment to the shelter, and we don't know where that home environment is. We can't put them back out into the community because we don't know where their home was. So we do work with the shelters to provide a relocation opportunity for those cats because their only other alternative is to be euthanized. But if an alternative exists to shift them two blocks down into territory that they're familiar with, cats are not staying within a tiny post stamp area of their territory. They are willing and able to shift two blocks away from a demolished building if need be. And we feel strongly that that's in their best interest. And we work to make sure that the neighbors in the surrounding community understand that as well. So for those cats that do go into the shelter system that do get relocated, do you know if there's any data out there on the the success of relocation or would you have any percentage of how many cats would successfully sort of stick to that new location? Yes, the Kentucky Humane Society, which is the organization in our community that does what they call a working cat program. And again, it's pulling cats from their shelter and our municipal shelter that we don't know where they might go back home or in some cases, owner surrenders that have been inside, outside that have litter box issues, for example. That organization runs our community's program that most closely lines with the relocation that you're speaking of. And they find in their follow-up calls that a per- percentage of the cats that remain on site is 80%. And that's with the absolute best, using best practices to relocate relocating in pairs, relocating to screened new caretakers in barn settings usually, but also workshops and garden shops, garden shops, that type of things, even in the urban area, warehouse settings, that 80% remain as long as there's the housing that's provided to them for the three to four weeks, that there's a stable caretaker, that a routine is set up, for them, all best practices are followed for those relocations. Yeah, there was one interesting thing that I read, a book, uh, Community Cats by Ann Beal, talking about the relocation of cats in the city of Chicago. And the one thing that I had never known about in our relocations in Massachusetts is the thought of including an outdoor litter box in as part of a way to re-home cats and get them 
interested in coming back to a certain area. I found that kind of interesting and fascinating. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We often use litter boxes recommend for in areas where there's disgruntled neighbors who wish the cats would not use their gardens as their bathroom. We do place litter boxes in the backyards of caretakers to try to deter them from using the gardens of their disappointed neighbors. Are there other uh, tips or tricks that you have with regarding deterrence? We use the make sure that we encourage the caretakers to make sure that they feed at regular times rather than having food out all the time. We also work with commercial deterrent devices that we loan to those disgruntled or disappointed neighbors so that the cats stay out of their gardens and off their porches. We use forks, plastic fork tines in gardens, basically the standard procedures that you can find in the literature for deterring the cats from their yards. And I think that the litter box method is very successful. Sometimes it needs to be as large as a small kiddie pool, as large as long as the caretaker is willing to scoop the Litter box, basically. (laughs) In the large size litter box, that seems to work very, very well. Well, thank you for helping answer many of our listeners' questions. and, And hopefully we've been able to work through this challenging process with relocation. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at Lumen LS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats podcast and LumenLS.org by going to Lumen LS on Facebook today. One last question that I would have in, in this area, though, is what do you do with the most adamant of people? I mean, is there ever a scenario where you've just had to say, I have to walk away from this because you just are adamant about not working with our program? Certainly. There are people that we will all run into that are like that. When we have a caretaker call us that says they have to relocate their cats, we just walk away because we're not going to participate in that activity after we've evaluated and determined that indeed it's not in the best interest of the cats. We're here for the cats and it always comes back. Our decisions always come back to, is this in the best interest of the cat or is it in the best interest of this person? And if the person can't be moved and it's still not in the best interest of the cat, we walk away. Sadly, we have enough work to do and are happy to do it for people who are willing to play within the rules and and stay in the box. We have a lot of work to do. We can just shift our energies. Right, right. So it's it's going back to that low-hanging fruit type conversation. Exactly. 
So shifting the topics a little bit, I've been, you know, now that I'm doing this podcast and I write a blog every week, I find I'm using a lot of words and phrases that I think folks might not necessarily fully understand what they mean. Uh, We always throw out words, and people used to say this to me when I was at a meeting at, at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, and I would go rattling off stuff, and they're like, wait, 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 I have no idea what you're saying. You've got all this jargon and all these initials for things. And I have no idea what you're talking about. So I thought we might run down a list of phrases and and you could help explain what they mean and maybe what they mean now. And, you know, the fact that we are an evolving industry and these words might change. They might be different in different parts of the country, but just some general sort of definitions. One of which, which is a term you're very familiar with, is called return to field. Right. Return to field is the overarching terminology primarily used by shelters where cats come into their care and then they are returned back to the neighborhood from which they came. In our community, we break that down. Those cats that come into the shelter environment that are already ear-tipped, we call those cats return to field. They're going to be identified as already ear-tipped hopefully before they even make it all the way to the shelter, but certainly they'll be identified by that ear tip and returned to the field, to that neighborhood from whence they came. We use a different terminology for those cats that come into the shelter and spend a day getting spayed and neutered and vaccinated, while ultimately they are returned to the field by the officers. We call those cats shelter-neuter-return cats. They've been sheltered for even just 48 to 36 hours, and then they've been neutered, and then they've been returned. So we have return to field, RTF, and we have SNR, which I will hear people say SNR every now and again in conversation, and I'll be like, wait, no, you mean TNR. No, it's SNR. So we have various forms of TNR. We have targeted TNR. We have TNVR, which is used, I've heard, a lot in Florida, and then we have TNR. And can you maybe share some of the differences of those terms? Sure. It's been a very interesting evolution of those terms. So TNR is trap, neuter, return. Early in the evolution of our field, I think a lot of people use the word release, trap, neuter, release. And I think it's more common now. Geographically, it may well be different, but that we use the word term, return. We use the word return rather than release because we don't want to emphasize in our syntax that the cat was trapped. That's a sad and scary thing for humans as well as the cats. So by de-emphasizing that they're being released from the scary trap, by using the word return, which is a happier thing because we can build on the fat notion that they're being returned to their home, is something that we want to promote. So trap, neuter, return is the TNR. SNR, as we mentioned, is shelter, neuter, return. That's mostly used for those places where there is a sheltering component in a formal facility. And then in communities where vaccination has really been a concern, the TNVR comes to play. In communities where vaccinating is not so much on the minds of public health officials, although it certainly is present, just isn't at the forefront, we're more easily able to shorten that to TNR. And then 
Targeted TNR is when we are focused on a concentrated area. That's correct. And and realistically, every TNR is done in a targeted way, whether you're targeting the cats of a single caretaker, the cats of a neighborhood, or the cats of your broader community. But the more pinpointed the targeting can be, the better it is in the long run to demonstrate the success both to the caretakers, the neighborhood, and your community of the whole process involved in trapping cats, spaying and neutering them, and then returning them to the neighborhoods. And then in order to have a really good comprehensive program in any community, you should really strive to have returned to field, a spay-neuter return, as well as a targeted TNR component. I mean, if in our dream world, if we could have it all, we would have all those three components, right? Yes, absolutely. Just as in every part of life, if you leave out a piece of your stereo component of your stereo system, you're not going to have the full quality that you want. So by combining each of those elements, you really come to the best solution for the cats involved. Moving into sort of a different area of of language and and our words, you know, amongst ourselves, we use words like community cats, ferals, stray cats. And, you know, when I chat with you or chat with others, you know, everybody's all, oh, yeah, 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 I totally get what you're talking about. If I talk about feral cats or community cats with folks that don't know what's going on, they look at me like I... And have ten heads. They just they're like, what? What? What's a feral cat? What is a community cat? It sounds like a cafe or something. Should we, when we're talking to other folks, should we just refer to stray cats and just say, you know, hey, I help stray cats, or should we really try and help educate people on on this new terminology? Which ferals is really not new, but it still seems to be new with the general population. Right. I think that this this is a very good question, and I think it it really depends on your audience, as many of these types of questions do. We, Alley Cat Advocates, doesn't use the word feral. We're really not interested in the personality of the cat involved. We're interested in its living situation, which stray and unowned seems to be more widely understood by the people with whom we deal. Stray and unowned. Yes, I have a stray cat I'm feeding in my backyard. They don't know nor do they really necessarily care whether its personality is that of a feral or a tame cat. They have this animal in their backyard that they're feeding. It's a stray. That, in our geographic area at least, is very common terminology. We want to shift them to the term community cats, although on an individual caretaker basis, I'm not sure it's as important as making sure that our municipal folks the governing folks in our community understand that these are cats that are embedded as a part of our community, that they are our community's responsibility. And that's the audience that I more frequently use the words community cats with to make sure that they understand that there's a responsibility at the municipal level to respond to issues related to community cats. And again, the feral is more a personality that we steer away from. We don't want the community, whether they be lay people who are caretakers doing that great hard work, nor our municipal officials, to believe that these are scary cats that are going to harm them in any way. And the term feral has that negative connotation that we certainly don't want to burden our cats with. Right. 
I agree with you on that standpoint. I just think it's you're talking about almost a cultural change and it's not done by one person. So you must have to work really hard with language. We're very, very careful in the words that we use in all of our print, whether it's social media or hard print or email blasts that we send to community leaders that we don't use the word feral. Often we don't use the the terminology community cats. Again, it depends. And in some publications, we'll use stray and unowned interchangeably with community cats so that eventually our hope is, and this is a long-term plan, that those words are under, and the cats themselves are understood to be all of those things. They are stray, they are unowned, but they are also our community's cats. That's very interesting. And our language, you know, five to 10 years from now, we could be using different language. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt, we probably will be. Wow. So lots of things to think about from this show today. Karen, I want to thank you so much. If people are interested in finding you, following up with questions, how would they do that? Absolutely. We have a website at alleycatadvocates.org, and they can certainly pull that up. We have there, and also just basically through basic email, we can be reached at contact us, all one word, at alleycatadvocates.org. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I just want to thank you, Stacy, so much for taking this project of podcasts forward. I think it's tremendous that our profession and the cats that we're serving has reached the point where, indeed, the cats are getting the care and concentration and effort that they deserve. So thank you very much. Oh, Karen, well, thank you. And it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And I just love having a conversation with you. You you always make me think, which is nice. It's a night, you know, it's great. I mean, I think all the time, folks, I do think all the time, but it's, it's always refreshing. I just, all of these conversations are so great where I'm able to talk with the real leaders across the country. So Karen, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. and, And I do hope we'll have you on again in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 